think our reader is sick today. Uh, Jen Wright, I think, are you here? Did you make it? No, she's sick. All right, so I'm going to read for us, all right? Uh, this is, uh, and pray for Jen, y'all. She's sick. Um, this is John 3, uh, verses 1 to 17. This is the encounter uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, to prepare us to come to the table. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, every, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher. And Jesus said, you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is God's word. And this is my word. K through five, y'all can head off to your class. I was supposed to say that before I read, but now you know what we're going to be looking at here this morning and y'all will be looking at. Um, y'all have a seat. Too many moving parts. Goodness. So the encounter um, we are looking at this morning is this encounter with Jesus and this guy named Nicodemus, and we've been looking at these different encounters knowing that every time Jesus or someone encounters Jesus, rarely are they left in the same place, uh, that he transforms their life. And so as I was studying this this week and thinking about this, and this is really true, there's lots of places in Scripture this happens, but in this one uh, interaction, we really have the entirety of the gospel. Uh, captured here. So it's a pretty sweet uh, story and encounter to prepare us for coming to the table. But um, three things that I really want us uh, to consider uh, in preparation of coming, and you can kind of park everything we're going to talk about under these three points, uh, what Nicodemus is encountering and experiencing with Jesus here. The first thing is this, more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye uh, with what's going on. Secondly, there's more than we can do, is what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus. And then thirdly, I was really struggling with this. I was like, where's the third more? I couldn't do it. So uh, the third point is releasing the wind, all right? Releasing the wind. So more than meets the eye, 
more than we can do, and then releasing the wind. More than meets the eye. So it says there uh, in the very beginning, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, we're meeting this guy really for the first time uh, in Scripture. Uh, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was uh, a pretty important thing. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. These were kind of the guys uh, who were the elite Pharisees uh, who would have ruled on everything uh, that had to do with Jewish religious legislation and law. So think uh, Supreme Court justice, right? Like the high, high, high ups. And it says there, you know, Jesus calls him in, in verse 10, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. When he says you are Israel's teacher, uh, Basically, what Jesus is saying there is, is you're not just one of this Jewish ruling council. You are at the very top of the caterpillar pillar. You are the, capital T-H-E, the teacher of Israel. So Nicodemus was the guy, I don't, you know, you see people who have accomplished a lot in their educational life. They've got all of these little like LFP, LFKFYFP, dot, 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 you know, all these little acronyms. And none of those were real, what I just said, but... You know what I'm talking about, the guy with all the, or the gal with all the letters behind their name. That's Nicodemus. And it says here that he comes, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who comes from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. He comes to Jesus at night. Now, why authors include details like this, uh, we can kind of just read this really quickly, but it's actually really, really important. Uh, The fact that Nicodemus comes at night is significant. Um, And I think a lot of, I did a ton of reading on this this week, and there's a lot of reading to be done on this. There's some significance to that, but it's really not totally clear why. Did he come at night because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus? You know, is this kind of a covert mission? I'm sneaking around at nighttime in order to kind of get some audience with Jesus, but I don't really want to be seen as somebody with Jesus, right? Jesus, just prior to this, a day earlier, had shaken things up pretty significantly when he came into the temple and he cleansed the temple. He made a cord out of whips because uh, there were money changers and people who were basically selling uh, all the animals that were required for religious sacrifice under the Old Testament law. They had turned the Gentile court, which was supposed to be a place of evangelism, basically where Gentiles could come in and experience Yahweh and and the life of Israel, they turned this Gentile court into basically a marketplace where they were profiteering off of religion. And Jesus came in and saw this and got just wild mad and turned over the tables and basically drove people out and said, get out of here. This is not what this is for. This is to be a house of prayer. It's not supposed to be a religious marketplace. So Jesus, just a day earlier, had done something pretty polarizing uh, in in the Jewish religious establishment. So We're thinking maybe Nicodemus was afraid of being seen with Jesus because that had happened a day earlier. Maybe Nicodemus just wanted to. I mean, he's a real learned guy, and Jesus, you know, he says there he's been doing things. No one could perform the signs or teach the way that you've been teaching if God were not with you. Maybe he just wanted some unhurried time to have some conversation, some dialogue. Let me tug and pull on some ideas together. But one of the things that I read, and, and, and this is true in John's gospel, it's true in all you know, writing really, but in John's gospel in particular, oftentimes John will employ a metaphor uh, in a certain way because he's trying to make a point with a metaphor. Like when John introduces Jesus in his gospel, this is John 1.4, it says, in him, this is talking about Jesus, 
was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, right? So he's trying to paint a picture, light and dark, right? Jesus himself in John 8, in one of his I am statements, he says this, that I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but I, but will have the light of life. So it's possible, and I actually personally kind of, it's probably all of these things. He doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. He's trying to get an audience with Jesus. He's, he's got a reputation to protect as being the guy that he is. But ultimately, um, I actually believe, too, that John is actually playing off of this metaphor of dark and that, yes, he is coming physically in the dark to see Jesus, but what we're going to discover as we go through the story is, is that ultimately he is spiritually in the dark. The Nicodemus is dark right now. Even as the most religious person in Israel, he's in the dark, and a light switch is about to be flipped for him that he can't flip for himself. What does he say to Jesus? So they they have this, you know, come together. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God, rabbi. No one could do what you've been doing if God was not with you. So he calls him rabbi, which would have been an acknowledgement of, okay, your, your position, we see that you're legitimate, you're a teacher who has come from God, and no one, you know, you're doing things that no one could be doing if God were not with you. And it's true, he's a teacher, Jesus has been teaching, but in this moment, you know, again, go with me on this dark metaphor. Nicodemus is not perceiving truly or totally at all who Jesus is. That Jesus truly is more than meets the eye for Nicodemus. And that's true because Nicodemus doesn't have spiritual eyes yet right now. Even as, all, as spiritual as he is, as religious as he is, he cannot see. Proverbs twenty twelve says that, Eyes that see, the ears that hear, the Lord has to make them both, right? And that's we're seeing right here with Nicodemus. He does not have spiritual eyes. He calls him teacher, but it's not just a teacher. And he says here, no one could do what you're doing if God were not with him. But God isn't with Jesus, right? God isn't with Jesus, and that's why he can do it. God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. And therefore, in this moment, God is with Nicodemus. That is what he does not see. That is what he does not understand. And in many ways, what Nicodemus already knows, because he says, we know, obviously there's a discussion going on in most of the community. We already know, we've been talking. We already know, you know, that you're a rabbi, that you're a teacher, you've come from God. What Nicodemus already knows is actually preventing him in this moment from seeing who's in front of him. What he already understands, what he already sees, right? What he's already decided. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this, but I would, I would encourage you to just write this question down and ask the Holy Spirit to do some work in your heart this week. What do, do I already know? Have I already decided about God or about Jesus that actually is standing in the way from me seeing who he truly is? What have I already decided? What do I already know? Because Nicodemus, he's only seeing Jesus through his past experience up until this point of God, right? He's only seeing Jesus through his wisdom or through his knowledge. He's seeing Jesus through the eyes of the flesh, not the eyes of the spirit, because he doesn't have the eyes of the spirit yet. One of the commentators said this, 
that Nicodemus is a man who is just a sum of all his yesterdays. That's a good sentence. He's just a sum of all his yesterdays. But in this moment, all your yesterdays are about to not be what you thought they were about because this is a new day. I'm doing a new work in your life right now. So we don't really know exactly what Nicodemus wanted to talk about. He wanted an audience with Jesus, but it's very, very clear in this passage, Jesus wants to talk to Nicodemus about something. And Jesus says, that's great, you've come for conversation, and you want a conversation, but what we're going to talk about is actual spiritual conversion. And let me tell you how it happens. Let me explain to you how this actually goes down, and you're not going to understand it. Because it's more than meets the eye, and secondly, it's more than you can actually do. Let's reread verses 3 through 6. Jesus replied, very truly, you know, Nicodemus pays him a compliment. Oh, you know, you're doing killer stuff out there. We know God's with you. He's like, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about this. Very truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, I mean, seriously, he did not see this coming. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Oh, okay. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, if you've been around church, you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've obviously heard the phrase, born again, a born again Christian. Um, Those two words sandwiched together, I mean, this is a very, very pregnant thing that Jesus is saying to him. He's saying that for you to enter or for you to see the kingdom of God, if you're going to see it, if you're going to enter it, something as radical as a rebirth is what is necessary. Something that crazy, something that unpredictable and unlikely. Effectively saying this, you know, if flesh gives birth to flesh, then spirit gives birth to spirit. Unless a man is born spiritually from above, he's not going to be able to see or enter the kingdom of God. And it's very obvious by Nicodemus' response that he doesn't grasp or have any idea what in the world Jesus is talking about. Because he moves to this question, well, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Why would Nicodemus respond like that? I mean, that doesn't sound, I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing for him to say, well, goodness gracious, I mean, how is that possible? I'm a full-grown man. Is it actually, do I need to, you know, enter into my mother's womb again? Why, why is the way that Nicodemus responds so important? Well, ultimately, it comes, his response comes from how Nicodemus understands life itself, which is basically, if I want to see or if I want to enter into the kingdom of God, all I understand up until this point is I have to do something. I have to do something, keep the law, be righteous, get it right. I have to do something in order to get that to be true. So his response is a very natural thing based on his frame of mind as a religious leader and teacher. Okay, if I have to um, do something in order 
to enter into the kingdom of God and you're telling me I have to be born again, then I guess I have to climb inside of my mother's womb again. That's the only way he would reason. And it's confusing to him because he's basically saying to Jesus this, you are asking me to do the impossible right now. And guess what Jesus is saying? Exactly. Because I'm not asking you to do anything right now. I'm talking about what only I can do and only the Spirit of God can do, not what man can do, not what you can do. So for Nicodemus being the highly educated, upwardly mobile, law-upholding, self-striving individual that he is, he is face-to-face with God himself being given the unsolvable question, the unaccomplishable task to be born again in your own effort. Let's just acknowledge it. He does, in his heart of hearts, he wants to know the way of life. He wants to know the way into the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying this when he says, very, very truly. Anytime Jesus gives you the truly, truly, or the very truly, I mean, he's basically getting ready to kind of go over the top of anything you believe. He's basically saying, this is the truth of the truth of the truth, the truth that tops all the truths that you think you believe. The way into the kingdom of God, it is not by something that you do. It is not something you figure out. It is not something that you understand. It is not something you accomplish. It is something that I do. You cannot see, you cannot enter, you cannot experience eternal life, the kingdom of God, the king and his kingdom without me doing something for you. If we had the time this morning, we'd unpack what is the kingdom of God. And there's a lot that could be said about that, but I actually, and Dave Dillard, you're not going to love me for saying it, for pointing you out, because he's the humblest man I know. But when I think about the king and the kingdom, I thought about you, brother, uh, this week when I got to go visit his, his banjo shop, uh, which if you've seen the banjos that this man is making, it's, it's art, it's beauty. But when I got to go down, if, if Dave would have opened up uh, his shop to me and said, hey, I want you to come see my shop. And I got there, and he wasn't there, but he just let me wander around and shop. I would see all of the amazing things, right, that come from the fruit of his hands. But what made the actual experience of going and seeing uh, the art that he's making in banjos real and beautiful was the fact that I was there with him. That I actually was experiencing Dave's kingdom, but I was experiencing the king of the kingdom. And the guy whose heart and whose life is being poured into these pieces of art. That's a, again, Dave's a fallen man, but that's a great metaphor for me. It was a great picture for me. Of, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, I, I am the king. And the, you know, when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's, it's here with me. But you can't see me as king, and you can't even see my kingdom, what I'm doing here without me doing something for you. You can't see or experience eternal life which is more than just a, you know, an after-you-die proposition. It's a here-and-now proposition. That's why Jesus says when he teaches his disciples to pray, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you, Nicodemus, to experience the kingdom of God now. It's right here with you because I'm here with you. But if you're going to experience it, you're going to have to realize it's not something you can do. It's something i got to do for you. To see that kingdom You must be born of water and of spirit. He's basically saying this is a spiritual work of God. It is not 
the physical or spiritual effort of mankind. Another way of understanding even how Jesus combines those words, water and spirit, uh, and him basically saying, hey, to be born again is the work of the regenerating work, the, the renewing work, the cleansing work, right? The filling work of the Holy Spirit. He's basically saying to Nehemiah, we're in spiritual waters here. We're not in, in man waters here. We're in spiritual waters here. And Nicodemus, you as the teacher of Israel, and he eventually says, you know, he talks about, do I go into my mother's womb? And eventually says, how can this be? Nicodemus is even acknowledging in that moment, this is a humbling moment for him. I don't even understand what you're talking about still. And Jesus is, is basically confronting him, even as the teacher of the law, you're not understanding the things that were taught in the law. Listen to this. This is Ezekiel 36. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament about this very thing that's happening right now. For I will take you out of the nations, he's talking about Israel, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. And here's what I'll do. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit inside of you. What do, what do you do, Israel? Nothing. You receive. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I, 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 it's something I have to do. It's not something you can do. How can this be? Only through me, Nicodemus. Only through my work. Because I'm here to give something to you, not ask something from you, is what he's saying to Nicodemus. The spiritual rebirth that you're trying to get or that you're even trying to understand, Nicodemus, it's literally like you trying to understand, he employs this metaphor here, the way the wind blows. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And the word for wind is the same word, Greek word for spirit. Those words are used synonymously throughout the New Testament. Basically saying the spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born with the Spirit. What is he saying to Nicodemus? He's saying this, um, unless I do something for you, you are spiritually dead, and like a sailboat, it's hard to not think of Tommy Boy here, right? <laughs> Sitting in the flat water with the sail just hanging there, limp, right? And what does he say? He's talking to his dad. What does he say? Come on, y'all. Tommy Boy, need a little wind here, right? He's basically saying that, yeah, that's right, you do need a little wind here. Unless my wind, unless my spirit animates, blows into that fabric, that flesh, you're like a sail that has nothing until the spirit blows into it. There's no motion, there's no spiritual life, even in all of your effort, your religious effort, it's not moving anything. And Jesus says to him, don't be surprised about this. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. I love it when Jesus says this for something. like, what do you expect? Like Nicodemus' entire life had been built around the way that you get into the presence of God, the way that you get eternal life, the way that you enter into the kingdom is all based on you doing something. You got to be the wind, Right? 
you got to do something in order to get God to do something. You perform, and then God responds, not vice versa. And Jesus is saying, no, the way to what you desire has to come to you, not come from you. I'm more than meets the eye, Nicodemus. I'm here, I'm here to give you spiritual eyes. And that's something that you can't do. So how's it going to happen? Third thing, releasing the wind, and then we're going to come to the table. How's it going to happen? How's he going to get this spiritual rebirth, these spiritual eyes? He says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen. But you people still do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How, then, will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, just As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What's going to release the wind? The Spirit. Because Jesus is making it really clear that, that salvation, that spiritual rebirth is the only way to taste and to see and to enter into the kingdom. So what's going to make that happen? It's clear that he's got to do it, but what's going to release the wind? What's going to release the Spirit? Well, we get a hint of it here. We get, we get a, a kind of an Old Testament cryptic nod to it here from Jesus when he says what he says in verse 13 about the Son of Man coming down from heaven. No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. So he's saying something here. I've come down from heaven. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the one the Ancient of Days is employed to do this, Right? And then he says, just as Moses has lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What in the world is he talking about there? Well, in Numbers 21, you can go study this. I'll just say this really quickly. In the Old Testament, the Lord sent venomous snakes in response to Israel's continued rebellion, continued grumbling against what God was doing, right? And they basically, they would grumble against God and basically say, you've brought us out here in the desert to die. You've left us. You've abandoned us, Right? We're thirsty, we're hungry, and so God actually sent snakes. And these snakes were, were biting people, right? And some people were actually dying. And in the process of that, they turned to the Lord, uh, which is Israel's pattern, sin, rebellion, some kind of disciplining act from the Lord. They turned to the Lord, and they repent of their sins and their attitudes, and they basically asked Moses, pray for us, like pray that these snakes will go away. So Moses prays, and this is what the Lord tells Moses to do. He says, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by the snake, he looked at the bronze snake and they lived. Why is Jesus using this example? What's he saying right now? Because Nicodemus would have known the story as the teacher of Israel. Why is Numbers 21 the point of what Jesus is trying to get at with him? And here's why. Jesus is saying this, you teacher of Israel the most religious person around. I know this is hard for you to comprehend right now because you don't have the spiritual eyes that you need to comprehend it. But even in all of your apparent goodness, and you are good, like if we're just stacking you next to everybody else, you're the good one, right? But you're not perfect. Um, All have sinned, Romans says, and fallen short of the glory of God. So just like Israel, just like your ancestors, your heart uh, is hard, 
Your heart is unbelieving. Your heart is incapable of receiving the things that I'm saying to you because it's a heart of flesh, right? Or sorry, it's a heart of stone, not a heart of flesh. I've got to give you that heart of flesh. And guess what? The wages of sin, Romans says this, the wages of sin is death. In some ways, what Jesus is saying here is this, in all of your goodness, I, I get it, this is hard for you to understand, Nic- Nicodemus, you deserve snakes. You deserve death. And if you don't have spiritual eyes, like if you just have the eyes of the flesh, what I just said to you probably is offending you right now, right? Because if we don't have spiritual eyes, we can't actually see how big of a deal sin is. It's only with spiritual eyes that we see, man, sin is that big of a deal. And we can also see that, that what Jesus accomplished is that big of a deal. But what Jesus is saying to him right now is, is just as I provided a way in the desert for the Israelites with this snake, this bronze snake being held up on a pole, and all they had to do was look at it in order to live, I'm the one who's going to be lifted up. That, that phrase, lifted up, nobody would have heard that and not thought of crucifixion in that day. He was basically saying in this moment, I've come to be crucified. I've come to die for your sins so that you don't have to. And that, that's what's going to release the wind. That's what's going to release the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to be the thing, the key, the ticket to allow new life to flow into your life so that my life can now be lived in and through you. And why do I do it? Time to get up the sign at the football game, right? John 3.16. For God so what? Love the world. That's why. That he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's what we come to celebrate at this table. The one who was lifted up. And we come to taste and see when we come to this table. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The one who who said, I will be lifted up because I loved you, because I wanted to give you the spiritual rebirth that you could have never earned. That's why he says, this is my body, what? Which is for you. I am for you. So we come to actually, in some ways, experience the releasing of the wind here. And I'll just tell you, even as you practice this and think about this this week, the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to release the wind in your life, you want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, I would just tell you this, look at Jesus lifted up. Like one theologian, I've heard him say that the the, uh, Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity. He's never trying to draw attention to himself. All he's ever trying to do is point to Jesus. That's why our life in the Word is so important. If you don't have a life in the Word, you can't have a life in the Spirit because the Word is there for the Spirit to illuminate and apply to your life. So you want to release the wind, get into the Word, and ask the Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Show me who He is for me. And then lead me out of that place, right? So we come to the table. If you're in Christ this morning, run up here. Kneel up here. Uh, Feed on the one who was lifted up for you who you have looked to and by faith said, I trust for my salvation. If you're not in Christ, Paul warns us in Corinthians, don't come to this table. Maybe you're in a place where you're still like Nicodemus. I'm trying to figure out what do I have to do to kind of get God to do what I want him to do. That's not what this is about. So come to him in faith. That's the invitation. Come let him do for you what you can't do for yourself. Then come to the table and eat the meal that declares that you believe that. Um, when you come to, I just ask you, I mean, obviously we say this isn't fast food. This is a time for prayer. If you want prayer, uh, you can cross your arms and one of the people serving would love to serve you. 
Uh, if you want to be served gluten-free, it's on this far side over here, if that's a need that you have. Uh, I would also encourage us um, to use the time also to pray uh, for what's going on in the world right now and what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, just continuing to be brokenhearted over the situation. Um, and I would encourage you to use this time to pray uh, for yourself and for the Holy Spirit's work in your life, but for the Holy Spirit's work in the life of what's going on for uh, the Ukraine people and, um, and globally there. Um, so that's it. Let me uh, read the, the words of institution uh, from 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll come. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we're here. Uh, thank you uh, that you've done everything to give us uh, the spiritual life that we need. Um, Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place, uh, that you would stir our hearts to a fresh uh, experience of you, uh, of your goodness and of your grace. And maybe if we're in that place that Nicodemus was in where we're still trying to relate to you uh, through what we do, uh, you would help us shed that uh, and step into and taste the freedom uh, of the goodness of the life of the Spirit and what you've done. We ask this in your name. Amen.